For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. second here <sighs> happy wednesday spc nation it is not only comic book day it is also second print day where normally anyway myself and my co-host remzo martinez break down a comic book story either new or old but this week it's a, it's a very special week for many many reasons uh one is that remzo is not here he is deeply immersed in what i believe is now a federal investigation into what he what he told me was a local business he was supporting in wisconsin uh turns out it's a cockfighting ring uh so i guess that's an issue so he's going to be out for another probably week or two dealing with that but it's a special week as well because it is a Kirby Club produced episode. Of course, our $50 a month patrons, the Kirby Club members over at patreon.com slash second print pod. They not only get access to all of our amazing perks, they get a, a graphic novel, a hardcover novel delivered to their house, right to their door every few months. They also get access to all of our audio content. They have on monthly calls with, with Remzo and myself. So many wonderful perks, but the Kirby Club level members are even more special because they get to produce an episode every few months. Uh, but this month it's even more special because our Kirby club producer this month is not just producing this episode from behind the scenes. He's actually going to be my co-host filling in for Remzo this week is my good friend, Eric, Eric, what's happening, buddy. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. This is a fantastic opportunity to come and talk to you guys. Exactly. This is your real breakout. You know, you've done a little, you've done a few short hits here and there, but this is your, this is your time to shine, buddy. I know. I'm, this is my 15 minutes, I think. Yeah. Well, I hope I, I'd love to do a 15 minute podcast. That would be great. We'll probably be closer to an hour or so. Um, but either way, shine you shall, because we're going to be looking at, well, why don't I let you set this up? Why don't you tell me um, exactly what we're going to be looking at today? I, actually, hold that thought for a minute, because first I want to, for people, you've been on the show a couple times uh, setting up some episodes you've done. I think we've touched on uh, how you kind of got me into comics in a, in a vague way, but I'm wondering if you have any early memories. I believe we met in, I want to say seventh grade, of when you got me into comics. Do you remember like some of the stuff you were reading around that time? Like, Do you remember specifically? I have a vivid memory in my mind of what I think was some of the first comics you got me into, but I'm curious what your memory uh, brings up. Sure. Yeah. My, my first uh, memory of comics is just classic X-Men. I think that's uh, pretty well known by the listeners, at least by what I've been choosing to, uh, to discuss on the show. Um, also, you know, reading uh, Amazing Spider-Man, um, a lot of Venom uh, that was coming out at the time. And, uh, you know, just a smattering of uh, image books when that first came out. How uh, I think I kind of remember 
specifically, I remember you showing me Carnage. Like it was, I think it was a Maximum Carnage book, or maybe just right before that, because it was just around the time of like when Todd McFarlane was really big, and you had Venom, and and then Carnage. And I remember just thinking, oh, that looks fucking cool. I don't think I said fucking. I was a very innocent, innocent, innocent young man at the time, uh, but I definitely thought it was cool. And uh, somehow I ended up getting a Fantastic Four book the first time we went to the comic shop. And uh, when, where we grew up in New Fairfield, Connecticut, we had no comic shops in our town, but we had two in the the big city, you might say, next door, Dan. Danbury, Connecticut. And we had two that we went to. One was Outer Limits Comic Shop. I forget the guy's name that ran that. Do you remember his name? I do not. He was a nice fellow. If he's still out there anywhere, uh, I hope he's doing well. And then there was the other shop, which was also owned by the same guy that owned the Carvel that you and I both worked at briefly. Well, you worked there for a while. I I think I lasted three weeks in that job. (laughs) (laughs) Funny you bring that up. I think that's about right. Yeah, that was. Yeah, we're going to go deep today. Neither, neither of which of those shops are still open. Well, I think Outer Limits closed first. Is that right? Because I, I kind of remember that closing when I was still in town, sadly. That, that was right. my favorite and store. I now, now, I now have to tread all the way up to New Milford, the other big city in the area. Uh, oh, wow. There's no, there's no comic stores that close anymore, huh? No, there's not. Newtown and uh, New Milford. That's a, that's a darn shame. It is. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember this guy, uh, we won't even mention his name, but this guy that used to watch like pro wrestling shows in the back of the ice cream shop with us, us which to us is like 14, 15 year olds seemed really cool. But when I kind of zoom out a little bit and I think about it as my age and he was probably my age then, that's pretty weird. <laughs> like if me yeah, or I, you were watching pro wrestling with a bunch of teenagers in the back of an ice cream shop, people would think that was weird, but we thought it was fine. I think something happened with the doors locked and at night out. So yeah, that was a little weird. And our parents were aware of it, I think. So whatever, nothing, nothing amiss happened. I will say he was probably just a, you know, a lonely gentleman. Let's put it that way. (laughs) He enjoyed our company, I guess, but in a very platonic way, Uh, or we just weren't his type. One or the other, I guess we'll never know. That is true. That is true. And I'm happy. I I don't know, but he is still (laughs) out there and he is still promoting. He's now promoting uh, indie wrestling shows. Oh, re- no way. Is that right? Yeah, that is well, that right. is fitting. That That is very fitting. We should go to one of those uh, next time in Connecticut. I think so. Um, and nonetheless, why don't you set up the book we're going to get into today? Because, you know, you grew up, like you talked about, reading mostly like Marvel and DC and then yeah. getting into the image stuff. And uh, this isn't an image book, but h- how much would you say like you were getting into indie stuff when you were still a teenager? Or was it more something where you dip in here and there? But um, was it still like kind of mostly the mainstream stuff when you were at that age? It was mostly the mainstream stuff. Um, I got a rather large collection of comics from my cousin. So I kind of went through that. That was mostly 70s and 80s uh, X-Men books and what ifs and and um, Spider-Man books. But I, I'd say that I, I jumped into some of the image um, just kind of as I was interested in the covers. Um, so I kind of like pop in and out of a book depending on what the cover looked like. And if I really liked it, I'd keep going. Uh, in my later years, um, I kind of started picking up more indie books. I like the the topic a little bit more. They're a little grittier. Sometimes they're a lot better written. Uh, recent Marvel stuff I've found to be really bad. It's just at an all-time low, huh? I I think so. Even compared to a couple of years ago, I was still into a couple books at Marvel. You know, we had Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk. Uh, Donny Cates' Venom was rolling pretty pretty good then, and his Thor. And now, like even even those creators who are now on different books, I pop my head in and I'm like, mm, no, this isn't. Yeah, money doesn't they come out of my pocket for this. No, <laughs> right? They switched books, didn't they? 
They did switch books, and they also pulled a Ram V switcheroo where they put Al Ewing on Venom. They pretend, and he did, he writes like three a three page like like <laughs> three page section of the story, and then Ram V gets the rest of it for eight issues, and you're like, what oh, happened here? Fantastic. That's got a Ram V switcheroo, which is just not okay. Uh, not good. Not good. So what, why don't you set up this book that we're going to look at today and um, tell me how you first came upon it? Sure. So I uh, and decided I've, I've picked uh, Something is Killing the Children. Uh, we're going to go through volume one, which is the first five uh, issues. Um, I kind of picked this up uh, at the comic book store. Um, I was going through some of the issues. It was a pretty light week. So I was looking for something new to jump into. Um, saw a really cool cover. And decided to, uh, you know, I picked it up, thumbed through it. And I was like, hey, let me give this a read. Uh, then I went back and tried to find some of the past issues. Found it extraordinarily hard to do. And I was like, maybe I'm on to something. And I picked up, uh, you know, a couple of the tradebacks. Nice. And th- that is something that's kind of lost about, um, this is a, a back in my day thing, but it, it kind of makes me think of, you know, going to Blockbuster Video back in the day, like part of the cool thing was that you might see something you never heard of and it might just be the cover and the visual that sticks out to you. And it was similar going to comic stores in the day. And, and for a while, I was like pretty much all digital. Um, so I kind of got away from that where like you might you go to the store thinking one thing or maybe you have some books in, in mind you might want to pick up. But then you might just be one cool cover away and just and and then there's that part where you get to flip through the book, too. And I think yeah. that is definitely lost in the digital. Maybe you'll see a digital cover somewhere and you look it up and it looks cool, but you, you don't get to hold it and look through it and go, Holy shit. Oh, this looks pretty cool. Um, so there is that value, I think of going to a comic book store and just flipping around. Cause that's, that's how you find random stuff like this that you might never have come across otherwise. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's the same with a lot of the other books that I've recently picked up a town called terror. Um, is another one that's out of image. I would have never found it had I not been in the comic book store, just looking at what's on the shelf. Yeah. So this is a, as we'll see, this is a, a, along those lines, uh, another horror story, which uh, I, I found myself enjoying uh, horror type comics uh, lately just because it's it's yeah. not the kind of stuff I used to read growing up. And it's a lot. It's not the same as a lot of the stuff I do read for the show. So um, and this one is by James Tinian the fourth and illustrated by a guy with a really fucking cool name. Werther Deladera. My God, that's cool. I'm going to name my firstborn Werther. Yeah, I, hope, I mean, I think that's how it's pronounced. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, the only exposure to James Tiny Knight had before was um, he had, well, he's, he, he did a Batman run, which I didn't really read, but I had read some of his Detective Comics run prior to that. Can't say I was uh, very, uh, I was kind of meh about his writing. Let's put it that way. But it's an interesting thing when you get, there's writers that are just good across the board. Like you give me a Chip Zdarsky book and I'm going to love what he's doing no matter or what there's some writers who are probably structurally sound and therefore they can get jobs at dc and marvel writing stories and they know how to lay things out and that's what they're, what they're hired for but you might not see what they can really do until they're out of those confines and i think maybe that might be the case here with this book today where james tinyan gets to do his own thing this is actually oh i thought this is an image in my mind it's not this is actually boom studios boom. Uh, which also published berserker another book that i've, I've been reading earlier this year yeah I'm actually um, inadvertently reading two more of james tinyan's uh, books. I'm reading a nice house on the lake, which is another horror title, and also reading um, Nightmare Country, which is set in the Sandman universe. All right, sweet. Well, um, before we dig right into the story here, just I'm just going to get a little bit more into like your mindset when you flipped through this book. What was it about what you saw in there that that made you want to give this a shot? Made you want to fork out you know the bucks to uh, to go back in the tradebacks and all that. Yeah, so just I really enjoyed. I'm gonna give some stuff away here. I really enjoyed the art. Um, I like the facial expressions. There's a lot told 
through the facial expressions in this book. Um, I enjoyed the writing that I saw when I was flipping through, and it just looked like it had, you know, some uh, some distinct art that you're not going to see elsewhere. Indeed, and we will we'll be looking at that right now as we dive into something is killing the children. I'm reading this one digitally off. Hoopla, Hoopla Digital, just one of the best resources for comics. You don't got to pay for it, totally legally, all that great stuff. And Eric is flipping through the book, the physical book himself. And we start off and we are uh, at a typical sort of teenage overnight gathering here with a little game of truth or dare. And we meet our main character, uh, J- I think, is it James? or No, it is James, yeah. And um, where he, he chooses truth and they ask him what's the most scared he's ever been. Uh, before we go further, Eric, did you have, do you have much history with the game? truth or dare <laughs> i do not i do not i was a uh, admittedly i was a complete loser in high school and was never invited to play this game well i am glad you don't remember the one time that i did we did play a similar game at a certain camp that isn't this exact game but is a version it's a spin-off and we're not going to go any further about that um so nonetheless <laughs> i think um, i James, remember that i think we you probably do but that's as far as we're going to go. Uh, and uh, yeah, so James is scared of, uh, he, he's, he seems legitimately frightened when he's getting ready to tell this story, uh, but it is a truth. And he basically tells this story about this night uh, the other week where he was in his house, heard a noise and heard like some rustling in the trees, went out back and, uh, you know, he saw something, something really scary, something with long fingers and these big, sharp teeth. And this is very much like a, a classic sort of horror movie uh, setup. And, and James is also there's some, some kind of like tributes. I don't know if you noticed his T-shirts. He's always wearing some kind of like DC comic character reference. This one, it's a Batman. I think later there's like a Shazam lightning bolt. Um, so there's some little things that that um, that. Werther. That's a nice catch. I did not notice that. And I've read through this. Well, that's what I like going through this stuff twice. Cause I, I noticed it only like the second time I was going through this, getting ready for the show. Cause I had read this a few months ago and then now I'm re- now I'm seeing it everywhere as I go through it now. So that is the, that's the value of going through things maniacally as, as a podcaster. Yeah. I, what I found interesting here is the score. The story is not that scary. So these right. kids are kind of wimps. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, I've heard much, things, much standing outside and I'm like, okay, no big deal. Yeah, they're in, they're not at a campfire or anything. They're just inside. Um, I don't I don't see what the big deal is, but it does seem that James at least is legitimately scared. He said there's there, there's something spooky under under the you know by the ravine there. Um, then he goes to this other guy, this Noah, and says truth or dare. And now we go to we do a little time jump here, and we say that this James uh, is being interrogated, and now um, he's got that same sort of bat shirt, but there's. Seemingly, I would presume his blood um, all over it. And um, yeah, there, he's basically just telling the story about the other night, how he'd been down the ravine. Uh, they'd snuck out before. It wasn't a big deal. Um, that The only thing different was this time is that, that he slipped and fell. And uh, he's, he's really having like a hard time really expressing what he actually saw here. Uh, he's just saying, you know, it was real. It was real. And this, this sort of officer is calming him down. And then we kind of, it's almost, it's, it's very much like a movie and right. Um, Right as James says, I heard them screaming. We go, we cut right to the title screen. Something is killing the children. Did you get that that same similar vibe reading this? That it has a very uh, cinematic feel to it to me. Yeah, it, it felt that way to me as well. You can really see in some of these panels the pain in James's face as he goes back and remembers what happened that night. Um, and you know, it's it seems like he's being intentionally vague when talking to the the sheriff. He keeps saying he hasn't, he didn't see anything. 
you know, he fell down the ravine and then he heard screaming. Yeah. So for, from our point of view, we still haven't seen anything. We've just seen that James was telling the story and then we just see him in the, in the uh, you know, at the um, being interrogated and uh, kind of just doing his thing here. We then see this other girl. Uh, it says two weeks later, we see this girl. She's got one arm. She's got an eye patch. She's looking in pretty rough, rough shape, wheeling herself around. And out of the woods comes this absolutely badass looking chick with this crazy mask on this crazy like face mask um and she is just covered in blood wielding two blades i think it's a few issues till we actually hear her name uh, or or her sure. full name but this is erica slaughter what a fucking cool name this is what did you think um as you got your eyes here on uh, on erica slaughter i love i love seeing this i love watching her emerge from the woods and you know just the girl's look of Who's com- who's coming for me? What is what's going to happen? She's she doesn't know who's coming out of the woods. The girl that's in the uh, you know Red Rider. Yeah, and luckily this Erica is clearly uh, is an ally here. She's not the one. Uh, she's not the one that the girl has uh, is actually caught. Seemingly may have caused this damage with her eye and and uh, her arm missing. We're not really sure, but the girl asks if it's if it's over, and she just says yes. The girl says good. And, um, you know, and now she's, she gets a call from this St. George. So it seems she has some, some kind of like handler or somebody who's her contact or what have you. And she's told, okay, in 16 hours, uh, we're getting this from her end of the dialogue. She has to be at this place called Archer's Peak that she writes on her arm, arm there. And, uh, before she goes, she just has to use the, the shower of this little girl who seemed to be like, I don't know if he was, she was her assistant or what have you, but what we'll see later is maybe she she was like her James in this other town, perhaps her little like kid helper for uh, for the for this adventure here. Um, and just as she's, she's leaving, this girl just asks one more question. She says, there are more of them, aren't there? And that's when uh, Eric closes the phone, says, yeah, let's get to that shower. Um, so that's our introduction to Erica, who is now heading to Archer's Peak, which is the hometown of our uh, of our hero of sorts, uh, uh, James who is heading back to high school after all of his friends were killed by this monster. Um, so well, it was two weeks ago. So he's had time to grieve two weeks ago. He's had time to grieve, but he, you know, you think a couple things now he sees like this memorial with all these, you know, wreaths and flowers and everything for them. But these kids come and, and bully him about it. Uh, and like, like give him shit for it. Like, Oh, didn't you really kill those kids and all this? But to me, like these kids are if they really think this kid's a psycho killer that was able to murder like four other kids, I don't think I'd be bullying this kid. I think I'd be scared shitless of this kid. <laughs> <laughs> I would do everything I could to avoid him. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess they're bullies being bullies. Bullies want to bully. And he otherwise other than being, you know, possibly a murderer of like four of his friends. Um, he seems like a pretty like nerdy kid that wouldn't pose much of a threat to these guys but yeah and he's accusing him basically he's like you know i saw the way you looked in the at those kids in the the locker room looked at all of us you're your preferred piece of shit and eventually uh james gets just so sick of these guys and he just says shut up and just screams i said shut the fuck up and then we hop over to this principal's office uh principal john collins um and the the principal's like what am i supposed to do with you do you have to call your dad or what and I kind of like this principal for, for a few reasons. Like he's trying to play it cool at first. And you know, he's like, look, you, you should have punched that kid in the face. Like he's an asshole. He's like, what? Um, and then like, right as he's talking to him and still trying to like maintain this air of I'm the calm teacher principal. He's like, Jesus, they're dead. And, and nobody fucking cares. He's like, he's saying like, man, I was just in school a couple of years ago. I can't handle this. And, uh, I, 
I don't know if this is a character we see again. I don't think we really do in this trade paperback, but I really enjoyed the portrayal of this principal uh, here. He just he, I, he just seemed like um, like 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 how, how a real person would really act if they weren't as constrained by um, the confines of the school system. Like like if five kids just got murdered last week, maybe you're going to talk a little more loosely. Maybe you're going to tell this kid like, yeah, you should have punched that kid in the fucking mouth. Like like four of your friends just got killed. Right. Um, so I, I, I like this scene. I'm not sure if it serves any purpose other than to just, you know, to be an enjoyable little scene to you know find out um, the repercussions of James actions. It gives you a little bit more into the story, too. There's there's a panel where he talks about how many, how many people have died right, in right. two weeks. So it's, it's nine kids dead in two weeks. So I think what, what it's doing is it's setting up some of the tensions you're going to see a little bit later by saying, you know, here's how much stress there is building up, you know, in the town. Right. Yes. Cause it, exactly. It wasn't just these, it wasn't just James's friends. There were other murders as well that are all being uh, lumped together now as, as the same thing, whatever that is. So that's why, I guess that's why James is, uh, it's getting off scot-free here because there are other murders that he wasn't you know accused of. Um, yeah. so yeah, he gets, gets done with the principal's office and we move on. And then we see arriving in Archer's peak is our, our heroine, our other hero, um, Erica slaughter. And, uh, she arrives here and there, man, this bus driver, I, I, I really like thinking of this as like a horror movie because horror movies will throw in creepy looking characters for no reason, just because they're creepy and it's a horror movie. And I don't know if it's just because of the vibe, but like, I just found this bus driver. She just looks like an old, not just an old lady. She looks like a scary skeleton lady, which I don't know if that's intentional or a lot, but to me, like just the art and the vibe of, all these characters, they all have that sort of horror. It all has, it feels like um, if this is a movie, it would just have a certain sort of like shade uh, to the lighting or what have you, have you that tells you this is a horror movie. And I feel like it's similar with the art here. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You definitely have that, that little element throughout. Um, this definitely adds to it. Um, the, the, di- the, mon- the dialogue here between the two is, is a little entertaining. We can tell Erica is a woman of few words. Yes. Yeah. She's very, very direct and to the point. And she is seen just looking at this board of the missing children when she's approached by this cop. And he's like, you know, do, do you uh, do you know one of them? She's like, yeah, you could say that and just kind of walks off. So um, she doesn't really give the, t- the cop the time of day. Just enough reason for him to be suspicious of her. But this this scene does come back later uh, where she's getting off the bus. Meanwhile, we see James, uh, who is just kind of on the phone with his dad. Uh, and we see him kind of staring into the woods, uh, thinking to himself, I'm probably just pondering what the fuck is in those woods that just killed my friends. Uh, when he does meet Erica and he's, he's you know, they're just kind of, uh, he's kind of freaked out for her by her at first, uh, even without that mask, she's kind of, she's kind of an intimidating chick and she has some questions for him. So she sort of asks him uh, about what happened that night. And she basically gets out of him like, yeah, yeah, I read what you saw out of the cops. Like, but now I want to know what you really saw. Cause I know that you saw more than what you told those cops. And she's basically, you know, just telling him, you know, I, I know you're scared. You're probably doubt, doubting everything you saw, but I promise you I'm going to believe whatever you tell me. So just spit it out no matter how scary it is. Uh, so then we get the actual flashback. And again, I like what they do with the sort of the, I guess, what you might call the lighting here, the shade of the art here where we we feel a distinct. It's kind of like a bluish hue that we always get when we're in flashback mode, uh, which kind of reminds me of, of what I learned doing uh, Chainsaw Man last week with Jim from Weird Science is how in, in manga books, they'll always do a black border whenever you go to a flashback. But So this book does something similar here where they always go to... To like sort of a blue shade to tell us that it's a flashback. Uh, what, what do you think of that that effect? Oh, I loved it. This is this is one of the notes that I took down. I absolutely love the blue shading on this. Um, it's also at night, so it kind of gives a little bit more of a creepy, um, you know, overtone to it. 
Um, and this, the next couple of pages here are just absolutely crazy. Yeah. So th- here's where we see James in the woods. He's screaming, where are you guys? And he comes upon his first friend here. I guess I shouldn't be laughing. And he's like, James, James, help me. I, I can't feel my legs. And we look and we see why he can't feel his legs. And this is finally like after, um, yeah, no, this is still the first issue. Uh, after all this build up here, it's the, the first horrifying, the truly horrifying thing we see. This kid is has no lower half at all. He is just, I think in real life, you wouldn't even be talking at this point, but that's neither here nor there. And he's just all guts from the waist down. And it, it is it is absolutely gnarly. This is Noah. And James is like dragging him, but then he's also realizing like, holy shit, like he is like, he. there's only half of a friend here. And the kid's just saying like, take me with, take me with, as he dies and bleeds all over James, who's just freaking and screaming and and screaming help me and this kid is like he has like a whole chunk taken out of him these kids are just uh, totally mutilated he finds his other friend carl and he's got blood all over him he's just saying this can't be real this can't be real and then he hears this squishing sound and we turn and we see this uh his other friend uh car not carl yeah, what was uh, his other friend's name Tyler. Tyler, yeah. The good old Tyler and he sees Tyler being eaten alive by this giant spider creature looking thing it looks like something out of out of stranger things it, i think a lot of this has a, a very stranger things-esque vibe to it yeah a little bit and and you really get the horror of what this monster looks like from that one splash page um you know ripping tyler in half um it's it's really it's nasty it's very nasty. And it, I don't know if it's intentional. I'm going to say it is. It almost, it, you can kind of feel like this thing is enjoying it. It's not just like eating. It's, it's having a good time. Yep. <laughs> that, that's what it comes across to me in the art. Um, we head back and, you know, she's just kind of thanking him and he, she's saying, telling James, like, he's got it handled. It's all good. And she's like, well, what do you mean you got it handled? He's like, oh, that, that's why I'm here. I'm going to kill it. And James just says, can I help? And that ends chapter one of something to kill the children. I'm not going to go fully, fully detailed into the next four chapters. Uh, we will go through them, but just based on chapter one alone, after you finally sat down with the book, read it, what were you, what were your initial thoughts? I, I want, I want the next issue. Uh, was my, luckily my you had thought. it. Yeah. Luckily I had it. I could just turn one extra page. Um, but I really enjoyed the horror vibe. I did get the stranger things kind of, you know, vibe off of it as well. Um, but it seems that there's a lot of backstory here. Uh, the person she's getting a phone call from, she's always um, a little agitated after talking to them. Um, so it'll be interesting to find out what the the relationship is and who she's actually talking to and what St. George is. Yeah, that's one thing I like about uh, James Tanyan's writing style here is that we're we're constantly finding out new things, but not necessarily in a logical or chronological way. We just get bits of the real story of what's going on, even in this first volume. We see a few things that we'll get to that you're like, whoa, that's interesting. But he doesn't just spell it all out for you. So you get interesting tidbits that help you realize, yes, there's a lot of backstory here without revealing it all at once. So still making it kind of a, a bit of a mystery uh, as things go along here. Yeah. The next thing I, I did after after finishing this book is I actually went and bought issue one. Just to just out of support. Yeah, just to, I just wanted to have like the actual copy of it. It's currently yeah. down in Florida getting uh, getting graded. Oh, nice. Well, I, I did that similarly with uh, Do a Powerbomb. You know, I had actually read them initially digitally. Um, and then even though I had them digitally, 
I just I, I liked the book so much and I appreciated the book so much that I just I wanted to own the physical copies. Now I'm now I'm buying those. But that's what really got me back into buying physical issues. I'm like, I it's not enough to have this on a tablet or in the cloud somewhere. Like I, I need to actually have this. Yeah, it's something there's something a little bit different. You get a you get a different vibe from it. You just get the in the uh, the artist's intended feel from it from a bit, you know, when it's printed versus, you know, a digital copy. Yeah. And then you have something to get signed if you go to a Comic Con or something like that, where it's no one really wants to get their iPad signed. It doesn't really work that way. No, it doesn't um, work. Heading into chapter two, or kind of like an episode two. So of course we meet a new character. We meet this guy, uh, Tommy. Who, and I'm just going to comment on it's. It's kind of interesting watching it digitally, but I know it's supposed to be a two-page spread. This whole scene of Tommy uh, getting out of bed and like going downstairs and talking to his mom, who's like trying to figure out what's going on. You, you sort of just learn from their dialogue uh, that something's going on with sister, his sister, like his sister is missing or what have you. Um, what do you think of this art-wise, though? Because it, it is like a two-page spread in the in the uh, in the book itself, right? It is. It is. So this is yeah, one it's pretty of the- crazy. There's like it's twenty-two panels here, but it it it, it works. Whole, whole lot of art. This is one thing that, that kind of it annoys me a little bit about this this series is switching the panel format, the panel layout drastically from, in this case from left to left to right, um, and it does that a couple of times uh, throughout the first five issues. Here, um, it's something that throws me reading through it first time, but it, it kind of works once I get used to it. Yeah, so th- this is where we kind of get the setup of Tommy. Obviously, he lives in this uh, same town of Archer Peaks. And, um, yeah, they're, they're, you know, it's a typical like family and morning kind of deal stuff that, uh, that we see in a lot of, a lot of horror movies and stranger things type stuff where, uh, now Tommy's kind of angry at the world as he goes off to his job, uh, at Applebee's. So, um, maybe he's not really, maybe he's mad about a job at Applebee's more than anything else. I don't know. Um, but we it's also see here, Apple beans. <laughs> Apple beans. Oh, oh, yeah, because right, they didn't want to infringe any trademarks here. Uh, right. We then see now, this is when we kind of learn something about this creature. Maybe like we see this creature is like next to Tommy's car, just like staring at him or like standing over him, but he doesn't see it and it doesn't appear in his mirror. So that kind of tells us that while clearly there's a physical aspect to this creature because it was able to physically kill these kids, there is some sort of maybe immaterial spiritual aspect to it as well. So that's what we get uh, from that, which is. Uh, again, this big this big splash page varies very much contrasting to the uh, twenty two uh, panels from just a couple of pages prior. It sure does. This really gives you a, a different perspective of the of the monster. It's just dripping blood yeah. out of its mouth, presumably out of its mouth and out of its. Does arm. not even like bother to clean up or doesn't wear a bib or anything like that. Just completely does not care about appearances. Completely unashamed here, and uh, we then head over to Apple Apple Beams. That's right, it's Apple Beams, uh, where Eric and James are going to lunch, and this is where James meets or where Erica meets Tommy. And basically, she just wants a place to hunker down. And again, this is where they do another one of these like two page spreads with just tons of dialogue. And, and so it, it does feel like uh, maybe like some of this pushes it, or it's, it's maybe like cramming more into an issue, I guess, than than, than maybe they, he would have wanted to. So maybe it's like, all right, I'm going to have a couple splash pages. But to make up for this, I got to have a couple two page spreads where I just get a ton of dialogue. In. Yeah, I like the exchange between Erica and Tommy here. Um, she's just like, I want to rent this booth. Is it a real problem or is it a problem you can ignore? Yeah. And Tommy said, Tommy basically makes a deal to get 50 bucks a day to let her just like plan and chill in this booth, except for Thursdays where there's, a, there's this other manager and he's kind of a stickler. So he's on board, but um, he ends up kind of overhearing uh, what they're talking about. 
And as I, I kind of like the scene here too, where James is kind of like learning more about Erica too. And he's asking like, you know, have you done this kind of thing before? Cause you're acting like you've kind of done this thing before. And we kind of get some really cool art, almost like anime or manga style flashback uh, to see just Jessica just destroy it just absolutely violently killing and in, in sort of a different uh, art style slightly too as well like and again like a different shade this is more like a yellowish hue uh just flashback yellowish and red with all the blood of her just killing uh, a ton of creatures like this so we click quickly learn that she is uh she is by no means a rookie at this this is this is her thing this is her thing she does so she just responds like yeah, I've done this kind of thing before. So I, I, I really like how her the calmness of her dialogue is uh, is contrasted with how much violence we see in the flashback of how much she's really, really done this stuff. Um, <clears throat> we then see that, uh, you know, Tommy and her little his little friend that he works with, you know, she's kind of filling him in her Tommy in on who this kid is like that. This is just this, this James kid um, who was seen who was like the last person seen with all these other kids that just died. And of course, his sister disappeared. Uh, so he's kind of like, you know, think of this whole thing's weird. He's hanging out with this girl. They're they're doing these. They got this weird map. And that's when he comes up upon them. And they're they're kind of plotting out on the map where all these different nine dead kids were found. And she says, all right, so where did this Sophie Mahoney live? And she's like, well, I don't really know where to, where to find that. And that's where Tommy just rolls up and says, well, I can tell you where, because uh, that's where I live. I'm her brother. And But this is when, and you think, okay, this is where we're going to get the big team up. You know, the Stranger Things team up. Now all these characters come together. But really, he just starts interrogating them. He's like, he's like, all right, what the hell do you guys know? Um, what the fuck are you doing there? How do you know my name? Who the fuck are you? Like, why are you talking to this kid? Uh, he's immediately very suspicious. Understandably so. I mean, this is a, a very strange situation and um she just kind of she also she drops her bag that has like these giant blades in them um so now suddenly you know he's like okay he, he obviously thinks this chick is is the killer now because she's he got all these weapons but before he can even do anything she grabs tommy uh slams in slams him on the uh the counter here and, and basically just kicks his ass uh so they can get out of here he's like i'm gonna let you go she's like i'm gonna let you go i'm not gonna hurt you i'm not gonna cause a scene i'm just gonna walk out but you and you can keep the money and you're never gonna see me again and he just throws the money at her and it's like and, and, you know just tells her to get the fuck out so uh it wasn't really the uh the standard affair of a uh, an insta team up that we often see in these kind of movies. It was quite the opposite. Uh, now Tommy is more, and he's actually calling, I think he calls the sheriff here that uh, he's, he's, he's reporting them as kind of uh, as suspicious, which uh, in his defense, if my sister just got killed and then these people were around asking questions, I, I might think this was fairly suspicious as well. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree. And you can also see a lot more of the tension building here, um, you know, with the, with the town's folks about what's going on. Um, you can see that Tommy's coworkers a little paranoid and trying to like hype him up to go and confront Erica and James. Um, and then that just continues throughout these, these few panels here. Right. And then uh, she kind of tries to ditch him here. She's like, all right, I got to go do this thing. I do this part alone. She's like, no. And he's like, James, like, no, I want to help. And then she gets a call and she's like, oh, fuck, I know the drill. And he, you can hear her talking to someone on the other end. And she's saying it doesn't happen every time I'm hanging up now. So. To me, this is kind of like an indication, like where whatever she goes, she ends up with some like kid sidekick who wants to help that that H ends up having to drag along. Uh, at least that's kind of where I where I think that dialogue was referring to. Um, and she just says, "Yeah, I was talking to some asshole. Like, don't worry about it." And she says, "Look, just if anybody asks you, even about me, just tell them what happened. It doesn't matter." And he's like, "What? Well, they're gonna think we're crazy anyway." She's like, "Exactly." So she goes back to this hotel, and she she's going in the room, and this is where she takes out this weird like octopus pillow thing and yep. she's 
talking to it. She's like, and she's saying stuff that doesn't really make sense to us. She's saying like, you saw the map. It's a class E7. There are still kids missing. She's just, and then on the last panel, we just see it says yes. So it talks back to her, this little pillow thing. Then we see the cops rolling up on the, on the joint. <coughs> Cause I guess this um, motel owner thought that she was suspicious, wanted her out of there, calls the cop, same cop that saw her get off the bus. And he rolls up, and as he the cop opens the door, uh, we just see Erica, and we see coming out of this octopus is this crazy-looking sort of octopus alien spirit type thing, and that that uh, ends uh, episode two, issue two, uh, <laughs> issues and episodes. There we go. Uh, so, what do you think of kind of like that that cliffhanger and sort of getting to know the character of Erica further here? But again, this is somewhere where all right, we know something weird's happening, and we get a tidbit of it, and we get a really big tidbit of how weird it is. But we still don't get we don't get just get it spelled out to us. Yeah, right. I I really like the mystery that they keep building here um, and suspense in the story. Um, you know bringing out the the octopus stuffed animal is is really uh, really neat and then you get to see a few pages later what she's talking to um it's also interesting when the sheriff comes up that under the door you see the shadow that looks a little bit like an octopus um coming out the bottom so there's he's like what's going on and he's like what is this so it's it's interesting i love how how they're just building the mystery and building the story yeah it seems somehow this like pillow object is is how she carries this thing around that to most people just looks like this weird pillow thing. Uh, and, and then like seemingly in this scene where the, the officer shows up, it's clear he's not seeing this, this thing. He's only seeing this weird pillow. So um, we'll get back to that, but we are jumping over to chapter three. Now we start off with this scene of this. It's kind of like another very classic horror movie scene here where we see this girl in a closet saying, I don't believe in monsters. I don't believe in monsters. And then we see like this creaking door open. And then we see the little hand of the same monster. She screams, she runs out and we see dead bodies like all over the house. Uh, she's screaming. Oh fuck. She falls down the stairs, cracks her uh, wrist open. This monster's coming after her. She's just saying, please somebody help. No, no, please. And then we, we see her presumably dying as she screams uh, off camera or something happens to her off camera. Uh, and then we go to the bar where this guy is, this guy, Henry is basically just, uh, it's, you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seems like he's just mourning. Um, I guess he's just mourning someone, mourning a child here. Um, yeah, his son. So I guess he was probably one of the. It's just kind of giving us more of the vibe in this town here uh, of the the real effects these people are having. Uh, almost like a Nightmare on Elm Street vibe, where like almost everyone with a kid is eventually either has a kid who's had a problem like this, who's been killed by this thing, or knows a kid who's been killed by this thing. So I think this scene just kind of served to sort of uh, drive that home a little bit. Yeah, I also, um, I also like to to your point earlier. 
these are all scenes at night and they don't have that blue hue. So mm-hmm. those, that blue hue with the flashbacks, um, you can really tell when it's like a night flashback or a day flashback. And they don't do that here uh, with night scenes. So I think it's, it's really nice just to add. All right. And we use this bar scene to transition to somewhere else in that bar where Tommy uh, and his, his couple of his friends are talking. And, uh, you know, she's kind of just describing this chick from earlier and her, her like big creepy eyes and you know, his co-workers there. And she's saying, yeah, like she was with that James kid. That was really weird. Um, and he said, you know, he called the sheriff's, but he doesn't really trust him. So they're like, well, what are you going to do? You know, if they let that girl go. And he just says what I have to do. Now we go over to uh, Erica. This is where we finally see her name on her ID. Erica Slaughter and the cops like this can't be your real name she's, and she's like well Slaughter's a real name and it's funny because her ID is like a piece of paper he's like this is a piece of paper this is, you, you can't use this he's like well this is saying like a social security card is a piece of paper he's like yeah but this is a license supposed to be a license you didn't even bother you know laminating it or, or, yeah, or anything like that um, but I really like her confidence here because she never seems rattled at all um, and before you know it she is pretty much interrogating him. She's asking him all these questions uh, about the kids, about where they were found, and she basically like knows the whole pattern and everything. She's asking him questions about who went missing first, and she's just kind of like taking over the case. And he he's kind of like upset by it, but also seems to eventually be like letting her because it it's clear that she just knows you know this is just like a small town cop. He really is not equipped to deal with a demonic um you know a demonic otherworldly entity killing children um so he you know even though he's pissed off he does kind of eventually start playing along a little bit with her and she says like you're gonna get a call soon uh from this guy and she kind of sets up you know that he's gonna hear um you know i think from the guy that she's uh you know she's been talking to on the other end and she basically says like look you gotta let me go and let me do my thing Uh, meanwhile this other guy comes up and he gets interrupted and he, we find out that five more have been dead. So that have been killed. So that's that probably that scene that we were seeing in the beginning of the issue. Um, and he, in the meantime, just says like, put her in the drunk tank. But uh, even as she's being walked away, she's like, look, I know, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to feel responsible, uh, but I can stop this. And he's like, you can stop this really. And he decides to just let her go. He's like, all right, just don't leave town. He's just like, well, I'm not going to leave town until this whole thing's over. So there's that small part of him who by all like logic, you would, I guess in a rational world would consider her some kind of suspect. Cause she seems to know about this stuff, but there's that little bit of him that I think her confidence and the way she acted in that room, he, you know, he sensed the truth in it. So there's that part of him that thinks, well, maybe this is crazy, but fuck it. I'll just let her go. Maybe she is the only way that I can deal with this. what did you think about that? That whole interaction? Right. I, I really enjoyed the whole interaction. You can really see, you know, her confidence coming through. Um, I think she was able to reason with him. Um, by saying, you know, you saw me get off the bus. You know, it wasn't me. Right. Yeah. That was the key line here. She's like, you're going to be, you're going to, you know, look me up. You're going to say I've been under, in these other towns with all these dead kids. But at the end of the day, you saw me get off the bus, which was after all these kids were killed. So that's kind of like way, the thing that I keeps them. those towns, the problem was solved. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's like, if her story is true and it kind of, he's kind of has an indication that it is true because he saw her get off the bus. Maybe she is the one that gets to solve all this stuff in all these towns. Um, but nonetheless, he probably can't do that in official police capacity. So he just kind of has to like, you know, look the other way um, and let her off. Uh, yeah, but meanwhile, some of, these, some of these panels too, you can really see how, how beat up she is uh, from past fights. You can see the scarring on her arms and you can see that she means business. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, and then she's uh, she leaves the police station 
and comes upon James, who's just waiting for her outside because they're partners, right? Um, so she, he's just there ready to go do the thing. And she's kind of like, well, shouldn't he be in school? And he's like, and in fairness, I mean, school would school already seems kind of pointless in some ways, but in many ways. Um, but if you just encountered this fucking demon and saw your friends get murdered a few weeks ago. Yeah, I, I don't really I'm not I'm going to laugh at you if you tell me I should be in school. It's like, give me a break. There's kind of bigger things going on here. Um, but James, you know, he really he really wants to do something. He really wants to help. And this is where she starts kind of talking. She's like talking to James, but then she starts talking to the octopus thing and it talks back and we can all hear it, including James. And he says the kill pattern is now more consistent with a class B Oscura type than a class E. And well, I know he can't hear it. She can hear it, but he, he sees that she's talking to her and she's like, he's like, are you really talking to that octopus? And she just says, you know, we'll finish this later. And he's like, yeah, you, you know, I think for James, like, he just kind of thinks she's, I think for him, it's both like, he thinks she's crazy, but also knows she knows her shit somehow because she knows everything about what's going on. But I don't think he's fully, fully like accepted. Like she's talking to this octopus because it's some kind of spiritual demonic entity. He just kind of, he just kind of like brushes it off. Yeah. I mean, I mean, who, who would it? it, It's absolutely crazy. I love how, I love how the octopus looks. Just got a button eye. It's purple. Just got a bunch of legs. It looks like it was Um, a glove. Yeah, it's it's you get really this is one of those things that I mean it's like really the case with all this stuff any day. I, I don't know if it's always the same. I mean, if I were we're reviewing like a you know a, a standard book, I can just say Captain America, Iron Man or name a couple of villains and you can make you can visualize what they talk about, but you know with a lot of these indie books, these are, you can't I'm not referencing anything. So like last week when we talked about Chainsaw Man, the, Jim and I are trying to describe stuff. Same with this octopus thing. Like we can do our best, but you really just kind of kind of see see it to really understand it. Right. And um but yeah, he's still kind of trying to convince her that he should be uh, a part of this thing. Um, so she's like, all right, fine, but we got to go get some weapons first. So that is uh, that is our cliffhanger for this uh, this issue, that we got to go get some weapons. So what are you thinking as things are unfolding and we're learning more just by these little tidbits here and there um, about this? We're, we're kind of universe building, you know, we're, we're learning that, all right, there's there's maybe some good spirit things that sometimes live in an octopus or something like a, a, a octopus pillow. Uh, there, there's a couple different supernatural elements to this kind of crossing over here. Yeah. Uh, again, I just want to keep going. <laughs> I just want to oh, give me the next, next issue, please. Yeah. Cause they, they always leave you with, with just enough to, to you, you, you have to know more because you, you know, they've given that, they, but they haven't given you it, all of it. They, you never get a three page explanation of this entire universe, which is what I really right. like how, how they unfold it. Um, we then head over to chapter four. We are at house Depot instead of home Depot, uh, where there there's a, it's the, the poor man's home Depot. And, um, she's trying to get some weapons and I, I kind of liked how she's describing, uh, you know, the weapons she wants. He's like, I got the best models up here. I also have these like crappy rundown models that keep dragging and stuff, but you know, you don't, they have a mind of their own. They just kind of tear through things. And she's like, yeah, I want those. <laughs> I want those crappy rundown models. She's like, what are you sure? And wireless ones too. And she gets a whole bunch of chains saws and axes and um big like clippers and they're just putting all the, these uh weapons in the cart this is again when it feels like a movie scene i mean i, I kind of enjoy we're probably getting a montage here uh to some kind of like 80s uh soundtrack um uh, i always enjoy scenes like this in the movies where it's like the arming up montage it's the our characters are going to have some wacky adventures um, bumping into uh you know dealing with store clerks at the, as they you know give them a look while they're buying all these all these weapons what did you think of this this scene and it's also serving to show us like you know how much kind of weaponry you need to go in to deal with these things 
Yeah, I thought this. I thought this scene was a lot of fun. There's one panel on there where you got James coming in with hedge clippers, and he's like, "Look how scary yeah. these are." And I think this is the guy that was in the bar the night before. Oh, it is. Yeah, good call. Okay, so maybe there's like an element of him that's kind of like maybe there's. It's, it seems to be a similarity through some of these side characters that like they think this chick is weird, but they also get the sense that yeah, she is the one that can help us with this. So she's just weird enough. Yeah, if I was the, the clerk here, I might have called the cops on Erica. I mean, she's asking, you know, she wants the wildest chainsaw you got. That if it got caught on something unusual, it would keep going. Well, we got another two-page spread here as we see Tommy come home to his naked, disgusting, drunk dad on the couch. <laughs> Which is just, I, I'm not sure if we really needed to see uh, as much as this. But it, it does really drive home that Tommy's at, Tommy's home life is not the best. It's kind of in shambles. He's working at Apple Beams. It seems like he's the only one working in his whole family. And his dad is just on the couch drunk and naked all the time. So his dad, you know, you can write this off. It's not clear. I feel like you don't get this bad from your daughter dying a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I think this was, I think they probably had these problems uh, beforehand, but it's certainly not helping. I, w- I would I would hope so that you don't fall apart this way. <laughs> yeah, but um, meanwhile, now we see what Tommy is up to. He hops back in the car with uh, his friend from work, and he's she's like, "Did you get it?" And he's like, "Yeah, I did." And we see that Tommy wasn't just stopping at Dad's house to say hi; he was stopping in to see to get his gun. He is armed, and now we then uh, head over just to keep it feeling like it. I don't even know if it's supposed to take place in the '80s, but the the characters uh, have '80s vibes for sure. That's this one uh, investigator that's with the cop here is wearing an, an anthrax T-shirt, uh, blowing bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, chewing bubblegum while we are there taking pictures of all these dead bodies. And this is the, that same cop all the time, that, that same mustache cop, the same one uh, that took in Erica. And I guess the, the thing we learned from this scene is that, you know, there's all this damage done. There's all these bodies like strewn about, um, but there's no like actual physical evidence of the thing itself that killed them. So that, and that's again, just another mystical thing that we learn, which does tie into some things we've seen earlier with Tommy, not actually seeing this creature when it was right next to it. Um, so again, there's this, there's a horror element that's straightforward in the sense there's a monster killing children, but then there's this sort of not so straightforward aspect to it. Like, is it there? Is it not there? Certain people can see it. Certain people can't. Why is right. that? So the, the, the air of mystery is always there for us. Yeah, there's a lot of irregularities showing up in this scene. You know, the creature busted through the wall, yet the furniture is not moved. All right. And as this scene is closing out, uh, we find that um, this officer did get a call. Uh, he said that he, this guy, uh, this his other sheriff is saying this guy called. He said he knew things about me, things he possibly couldn't know. He mentioned the blonde woman, hands the phone over, and... Um, he says, um, you know, who is this? And he said, well, the guy doesn't really say who he is, but this is where we just see, again, adding to the mystery, we just see a hand that's kind of holding this like serpent-like staff in a black glove. So and there's definitely like some gravitas about this character, even just from seeing one panel of it, which I, which I really like about that. And um, spoiler, we're not going to really learn anything about this character necessarily. Um, there's another there's another hint, but we're not going to get, you know, get it in all its glory. So I like, again, just as we've been saying, they keep giving, he keeps giving us just enough to interest us and things while conveying the proper you know how we should feel about a character like i'm terrified of this guy just from seeing his black glove on this like serpent staff so i think it's really really effective art it's like drawing smart instead of trying uh drawing hard i guess you might say and and this character just says i'm terribly sorry about the troubles your town is facing right now i would like to do what i can to help he's like yeah i just need to know who you are he says i'm a friend joseph if you decide a friend is what you're looking for um and he says did you send this erica here like you're you're with her and she and this is 
all he says about Erica, he says, you must have realized by now, Erica Slaughter isn't with anybody. And then we just see a shot of his other hand, which does have the same tattoo that we've seen on Erica as well. So it seems they're in some kind of club together, but he also indicates she kind of uh, does her own thing. She's not uh, anyone's, uh, she's, you know, not anyone's servant for sure. That is true. Um, moving along here, we see Erica and James head to the woods with this um, this cart of weapons, a shopping cart of weapons. Looks like they just got done with the supermarket sweep. Feels very ECW to me. Yes, we got new jacks roll, rolling into the woods here. Our friends on the North-South Connection will certainly get that reference. Uh, James says, look, I got a question. And good one here. He says, what did I say about questions? This goes back to their first conversation. He says that they're smart to ask when you're about to enter a life and death scenario. So fair enough, because they are certainly about to do that. And he says, what are monsters? He says they're big, scary. Now, this seems like a silly conversation, but we do actually uh, get some insight into things from this conversation. He says, you know, they're big, scary things that eat children, specifically children. And he says, okay. Like, she's like, well, did you think there was a bigger answer than that? And he's like, yeah, of course. And he just, this is where he gets pissed. He's also wearing like a, uh, it's either a flash or a Shazam lightning bolt in this scene. He says, monsters aren't real. And she says, like, really? You've seen them eat your friends. Like, of course they are. And he says, but why did it eat my friends? She says, well, it's because they could see it because they believed in it so now we're kind of getting an extra layer of here of of we've already seen that not everybody sees this these creatures that they don't have necessarily always a physical presence um but it's susceptible to children it seems because children are more likely to believe in it and therefore children do believe in monsters therefore they can see it but you know he kind of gets defiant here james and he's saying i don't believe in monsters and i don't think they did either either and she's like yeah of course you did. Like you did like believing is a different thing than knowing. I think there's a really important aspect of this where you might not think you believe in something, but your actions or how you respond proves that you do or is really what proves that you do or don't. So in this case, James might act tough. These kids might think they're tough. They don't believe in monsters, but their kids, they believe in monsters and they believe in scary shit. And that is why uh, this thing can see them because it knows that you're afraid. Your brains are still developing. They're just not fully cooked yet. So you're more susceptible to fear, but it, but but that's kind of what makes it uh, a realistic fear only because they have the fear. So what did you think of a finally here where she does give more of a breakdown? Um, we do get like kind of a, a concept anyway of, of why this goes after children because they can, they can sense it, but it's because they, they fear it, but they only fear it because they can sense it. So it's, it's kind of like a chicken and egg thing as well. I found, I found this to be a little bit, a little bit interesting. It was also a little bit confusing reading through these first five. Um, because earlier in earlier in one of the books, you saw Tommy coming outside, and the monster was standing right there near his car. Right, didn't eat him. But then it tore through the five the five people at home, including I believe the the little girl's parents. Yeah, I think it was just there. It was just there. You know, I think that's that's uh, yeah, because he didn't see uh, it. So that that establishes that adults around. can't see it. Okay, just strolling around, not hungry, yeah. so a little snack. Yeah, he was just chilling. <laughs> Yeah, he wasn't salivating over Tommy because I get and we'll, we'll this will be clarified a little bit more. Uh, I think the next issue here. But yeah, she basically just says like, yeah, adults, adults can't see them. So she's like, are you, y- are you younger than you look? And she's like, look, there are ways you can make yourself see them. And then James gets interested. He's like, well, show me like I want to know about these ways to make yourself see them. And she's like, look, this is not the kind of shit you should be dealing with. Like, you don't want to be seeing these things. That's why they can kill you. Um, if you can't see them, they can't kill you. So you don't want to see them. Um, but, you know, his case is like, why well, are can she's like exactly so i'm not going to teach you any of this shit because even if you stop having this ability you're going to want to stop seeing them so i i really like that scene because it, it drove home the gravity of of these creatures where um you know even though there's sort of this like 
fairy tale esque aspect to the explanation that they can only see, you know, children can only see them because children are afraid or whatever. Um, it also brings a lot of gravity to it where she's like, look, you don't want to see them. Like she, she sees this as a curse that she can see them. So she's not going to bring him any more ability to see them than she, than, than she has. And moving along, let's see. Oh yeah. This is when they make that last connection um, with, with how, about how she knows where to go because that first girl um, we've learned about this in one of the scenes that uh, the first girl was named Sarah Washington. And oh yeah, that's because the officer told her Sarah Washington, she was not originally included in these deaths. Uh, so he's like, yeah, it's a girl, Sarah Washington that was found in this place. So that's where she realizes, okay, if she has a den, that's, that's where that first murder would be. So that's what gives her the idea uh, of where the first murder was. This is also where she tries to ditch him again, but she's like, nope, I want to come. And James like, you told me, you promised I could come. And she's like, all right, you can come, but you have to like do what I say, including stay the fuck out of that cave or whatever, because you know, this is not going to be good. So I don't know why, but it seems to have happened before because we saw that other little kid when she came out of the woods last time, she always ends up letting some kid drag come, you know, convince her to drag along with her even though she knows damn well that only kids can see this thing and they're the ones that are going to be afraid of it. So either that's just, she's an idiot or maybe there's part of the reason to this. Cause I mean, I kind of have this theory and I, I haven't read forward like you have that maybe part of her strategy is she's actually sort of using these kids as bait. So, but I, I just kind of came up with that reading it. We haven't gotten any indication of that being the case, but that's kind of a theory I'm, I'm developing. No, I, don't, I, don't I think she has a soft spot for the kids and feels kind of, um, empathizes with them when they're pain and they and they want to kind of strike back. You know the problem is I'm in manga I'm in manga mode. I've been reading Chainsaw Man, so my brain goes to the darkest place ever. You know, because all of these manga characters dark the dark turn always comes. So I think that's why I'm primed to think that. But uh, nonetheless, that does seem to be <laughs> yeah does seem to be a reoccurring feature with her. Um, but yeah, she basically just makes him promise like, you better do whatever I say when I, when we get there. Meanwhile, we realize she is being followed by this other cop guy that the original cop had kind of said to keep an eye on her. Um, he calls the guy off because he got freaked out by, by this other phone call, but the guy with the black glove and he's telling him to like lay off the case. Don't follow her. Um, I think because he realized, no, she's really going to go kill this thing. Um, but this other cop is like, no, screw this. I'm going to go follow her. So just as he's going to go follow her, we see who rolls up on officer Richards here. It is Tommy. And uh, Tommy says like you entered, this is the cop that interviewed him after we lost his daughter. And he just knocks the cop out straight up. He's like, you could have keep, keep that kept that chick locked, locked up and you didn't. So what happens next is on you. So now we have an angry Tommy going into the woods to go after Erica because he is convinced that she is the one that killed his sister. So I have a feeling Tommy makes a lot of wrong decisions in life. Yeah, it seems like that kind of guy, you know. I mean, if I was mad, I could be mad all about it, but I'm not going to go knock a cop out. Yep, but yeah, because, you know, no matter what's going on, you don't want to add knocked out a cop to your resume because that, that's going to come back either way. Although in TV shows, it seems not to. So we'll see if it actually comes back to Tommy because this feels very much like a, like a TV show in a good way. Um, feels very not only cinematic, but episodic as well. Like they really nailed these. Like I can envision all of these as actual episodes. Maybe a little short for TV episodes, but nonetheless. Um, it's coming to Netflix. Yes. Oh, is it really? Yes. Animated or live action? I think it's live action. Interesting. Well, I'm in. All right. I mean, I'll by that I mean I'll give it a shot, and then I might get bored with it as sometimes happens with these things. Um. So we dive in here. Oh, we continue here anyway. Erica comes up on the den, and you just see like this cave with like blood on the outside. 
And she's already, you kind of tell she's freaking out a little bit. James is like, what's wrong? She's like, you know, it's bigger than it should be. And that's when she grabs this like octopus pillow and, she's, and she starts yelling at it. She's like, you knew this was going to happen, you little piece of shit. And now James is like, you're really scaring me, man. Like, because now she's screaming at this octopus again. And she's like, look, you need to come right behind that ridge up there and do not come out. I don't care what you hear. Like, she's like, you got to stay right here. And she just leaves her with the octopus pillow and leaves her with all the stuff and just goes in with her bag of just weapons and pulls up this mask. And we get an awesome shot of her ready to go in, looking badass with her weapons, ready to go kill this thing. And I love as she gets into the cave here and she just finds all these bodies, all these mutilated bodies um, with her glow stick. This is like now this is an effect of this glow stick she's brought in, but it just really makes the whole scene look cool. It's kind of like the blue earlier or the yellow in the other scene where it's all got this greenish hint to it, uh, this greenish hue to it. And right as she's kind of surveying the scene here, now this confused me a little bit. Like, did Tommy come in a different entrance? Why did James not see Tommy come in? But nonetheless, Tommy shows up in the cage, uh, in the cave. He's pissed. He says, you fucking killed them all. You killed all of them. And now you're going to pay. And she says, look, Tommy, you got to calm down. And now we see from her perspective, our final splash page of this issue, we see Tommy pointing the gun at her with this giant creature hovering behind her as we re- get ready to go into episode five. What are your thoughts here before we go into this, uh, the first, the, the end of this first uh, arc, I guess you could say. Yeah, this is about as gory a scene as you can come on walking into a cave. Uh, something you never hope to come across. Um, I mean, you've got a pile of presumably children just laying there, one with his head half ripped off. A uh, really cool effect with the glow stick, the way they did the art. I really love it. Um, yeah, then idiot Tommy following Erica Fucking in. Tommy. Giant so James must have been, I guess James was following her orders and really hiding behind the ridge to not have to see Tommy come in there. Um, but we start off issue five with uh, James just shivering by the bag, by the stuff, by the uh, by the weird octopus pillow. He's just saying this cold, it's cold and this sucks. And then he looks and says, oh shit, as he sees this like mutilated deer with maggots coming out of it, just nasty horror stuff. And he starts having these flashbacks of seeing all his kids uh, in a similar state. That's when he, then he starts freaking out. But just as he's freaking out, Octopus Pillow starts talking and says, I don't know why she brought you. Such a weak little thing. And he's like, what? And this is and so now James can hear the Octopus Pillow. He's saying, you should run back home. This is not a job for scared children. These creatures eat scared children. And he's just cr- screaming, I'm not afraid. And you're not, you're not even real. And this Octopus Pillow says, yes, that's right. I'm not real. This is all a nightmare, a nightmare that gutted your friends. It's easier to think that way. Yes, I like this, this octopus demon creature has a little uh, attitude to it. So you don't have to face that. You led them down into the dark woods late at night to their death. So this is, he's not taking the soft approach with James, directly blaming them for leading all his friends to their death, which in fairness, he did. Uh, he did do that. Um, so you don't have to face that it was your fault. So this is a, a guilt tripping octopus, not just a, not just a regular octopus spirit. He says, you're so helpless. You've done it again. Now you let Erica to her death and maybe I'll come and gobble you up too. And you won't have to live with yourself anymore. So, you know, this octopus thing, is he's like taunting him too he's like do something about it you have the weapon she doesn't you have the means to help if you don't want eric to die now is the time to act so this octopus thing is the one that's like goading him on to go in there so it's like erica works with this octopus spirit thing on the one hand on the other hand it it does have its own agenda maybe of sorts too so you know there's layers to all of this uh as we learn as we we go along here but uh back into the case too to learn um that the character's name is octo to learn a little bit more about why it's trapped in a uh, stuffed octopus. Mm. But yeah, he's, he's really laying into James here, giving him a guilt trip uh, about what he's done. 
Yes, I guess this will all be revealed in time. But uh, that's what that's what nice about this book. You can finish a first arc, and there's like a completion of sense to this particular story, sort of. But then there's so much that you've just gotten tidbits of. So there's so much more to learn. So you have plenty of motivation to come back uh, for more. Uh, and you know they're kind of having a stare down here because James thinks he's just in there with her. She can see this thing. He can't see it. He doesn't know it's there. So she's talking to the thing. She's telling him to come forward and get closer to her. And he's like, are you crazy? She she revs up her chainsaw and she just pushes him out of the way. Cause he's in, he's a, in you know, Tommy's an idiot, but he's like kind of a pussy too. Like he was going to point the gun at her, but he's, he's probably never going to really pull it, you know, obviously, cause he would have by that time. So she mm-hmm. runs and just starts cutting this thing to pieces. But what we see from uh, Tommy's perspective it's like fighting Freddy Krueger, you know, and it's like she's just fighting it. He's fighting a ghost, but you can see blood flying. So he sees it fighting it. He sees her fighting something, but he doesn't actually see the thing. Um, so he just says, this is some kind of trick. And he's like, no, it's not. And he says, you killed my sister and fires a gun seemingly at this thing. Um, Cause it doesn't look like he was aiming at her, even though he couldn't really see it. He took a guess. It, it, we see bullets fly through it. And she's like, you fucking idiot. Now it's just angry. Now it's going to really kill us both. Tommy knocks her down, you know, and then she kicks Tommy's ass. Cause so she's, she's got to take Tommy out because he's, he's just a maniac here uh, pissing this thing off. And then what timing? What fucking timing James has. James is coming in in the uh in in the cave and it turns out he was been shot. He took the billet uh from Tommy. So so she just nails Tommy in the gut just to take him out uh while she goes and tends to James. And he basically she basically goes over to him. She's like, dude, you just gotta listen to me. You gotta be quiet and you gotta stop being afraid. Like you gotta be quiet because it can smell you. Like, you know, the, this is the only thing that this creature can see is you. Um, so she's kind of going over with Tommy, who's just being a total bitch. He's like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. He's like, Yeah, you can breathe. You just got the wind knocked out of you, dude. Like, calm the fuck down. Um, so yeah, Tommy's Tommy's kind of a pussy. But then we see this other girl in here, and you kind of think at first. Uh, at least like I kind of thought it would be end up being his brother uh, or I mean Tommy's sister but it's not it's some other girl named Bian Bian who I think she was the girl from that scene in the other issue that that we saw we didn't actually see her die we just saw her screaming and you can tell Tommy is kind of like disappointed because he looks down and then he sees his sister and then he says Sophie so it's kind of like a little tease there like you almost think this is going to be his sister alive but it's not and this is when Tommy just like loses his shit um, because you know because he finally sees his sister finally accepts that she's dead and mutilated but he's got a man up because Eric is like Tommy we're out of time I need you to, to fucking man up and like help me with this shit. She's like, fuck, there's only one thing I can do. It's a one way door. Um, and, and she shoves this like, go, he says, what the fuck is that? She has this golden rod and this is where things get weird. <laughs> if they weren't weird yet, she says it's, it's a whore, it's hoard gold from the house of slaughter. I need you to see. So she sticks it in his brain and she's like, he's like, what did you, his head's bleeding. She's like, you just stabbed me in the fucking head. She's like, sorry. And then you see his eyes like glow blue. And then suddenly you see him and he's in this like weird room with other people that have similar like face masks. Like she has glowing eyes and they each have a stuffed animal, which I presume also contains some kind of demon uh, or spirit or whatever these things are. Now in the back, we see one guy standing back there with a black, black mask and a staff. I presume that's the guy that's been on the phone. That's the guy that had the servant the serpent um so again we get a glimpse i mean this is more of a glimpse of i guess what's really going on than we've seen yet but it's just a glimpse and we we get a close-up of this one guy with a bear and then we go like deep into his eye deeper into his eye until we see this symbol and then suddenly tommy's out of it so he, he sees a glimpse of it but when he comes out of it 
he sees this creature. So he's like, wait a minute, is that what you've been fighting? You fucked my head up. This isn't real. So whatever she did to him, like putting this hoard gold in his brain, made him go to this place and see this like council or whatever it might be. Uh, I guess that's the house of slaughter, perhaps. And then makes brings him right back. And now she's basically done what he said he what she said he could do with James. And now he can see these things because that's the only way she can get him to be a fucking man and then help her out here. So she hands him this other kid, um, tells her he's she's got to carry James and this other kid out of here. And she, he's like, okay, I can do it. And he's, he's like, well, what are you going to do? And she says, I'm going to kill it. <laughs> um, so um, finally, as Tommy is finally kind of manning up here, even though he's, you know, it took this crazy horde gold thing to uh, to get him to do that. Um, this is when we just see her go absolutely to town on this thing. And, and as she's saying to herself, I swear to God, I'm going to burn that fucking octopus. So she's also pissed about something. Uh, we don't know exactly what yet. So clearly her and, and Octo are not exactly on the same page either. Um, we see this police officer coming to as, uh, as, uh, he's coming upon them with the kids. Doesn't seem that mad about, about getting punched in the face by him. I guess he's, he's a little more concerned about the kids, you know, so they did the whole bring them to the hospital thing and all that. Um, we then see, um, you know, he's calling them in. He's like, you know, I, I've got these kids here. Uh, they're still alive, but I don't know for how much longer when you see, he sees something off the, off camera, off camera, off the page. He's like, what the fuck is going on here? And then we get some up close shots of Octo, I guess, as you call him of like this buzzing coming out of Octo. And you see this kind of like blade coming out and it's, it's unclear exactly what is happening in this scene here. Uh, but uh, I assume this is something we'll find out in a, in a, in another volume. Um, but then we see this voice that's saying, you know, I did what I had to do to save lives. Uh, I killed that fucking thing. I'll deal with the consequences. Now, listen to me. You didn't classify this correctly. This wasn't a food stash. It was a nest. So that's why she was pissed off. She says it's not. And she said, no, fucking listen. It was a mother, Aaron. So Aaron, I guess, is the guy she's been talking to. The guy says it, 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 Yeah, the man, the guy in black says it had children. Those children are out there now and they're hungry. If this town is going to survive, we're going to have to kill them and fast as we see her just full of blood on top of this beast. And that ends chapter five of something is killing the children what a ride what a journey um hmm should i let you go first i'm gonna let you go first oh come on you want me to go first i don't want to bias you so why don't you go first you're the guest all right you're the guest so i'll go first i'm the producer Uh, (laughs) all right fair enough fair enough um I'm going to say, so let's go with the writing first. Now, like I said before, I've, I found like James Tinian's writing in the past, let's just say mediocre at best. Um, um, but again, I think a lot of that is probably just the confines he's in because I really enjoy how the story is laid out. I really enjoy how we get little tidbits, tidbits of otherworldly shit, spirits, a spirit world, other dimensions, a mystery, a secret organization, demons. There's a lot here. And, but it never feels overwhelming. They lay it out in such a way that it feels like we're just kind of going through a story cohesively, um, but getting enough that it kind of reminds me of Hellboy, where you're always building the mythology, even as he's going on sort of like whatever adventure it may be. You're always learning more and more about the greater universe. Um, so I think the writing is, is pretty well done. I think there are some times when I think the pacing is a little off. Like sometimes it's like, a crazy fast monster thing and, and really intense. And then sometimes it kind of has to slow down a little bit, which is kind of understandable, but it also just does sometimes, you know, when you're reading it and maybe in trade back form, that maybe stands out more because you're going back and forth, back and forth more often. So that would be really the only criticism I could muster on the writing, but 
That's a minor criticism, and I'm kind of stretching. So I, I'm going to give the writing a 4.5. I think this is a, a very well done and, and very uh, very m- much uh, in the in the vein of, of horror type stuff that I, I generally enjoy. And the the art is right there. Good old my man Weatherby. Weather what was his name? Weatherly Weatherby. Um, he had a cool Weatherly. name. Derrata. Werther, yeah, Werther. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna make it Weatherly now. Um, good old Werther. Um, this art is it's it's like an art style that it just feels right for this particular story. If this was a Superman book, I'd think this was the weird. It would not make any sense to be in a super, art in a Superman book. But this art style, and I guess we got to give some credit here too to you know the coloring team, uh, the inking team. I know there's more than just a inker here because it really is a, a full package with this stuff. Uh, the different shades, like with the flashbacks or that scene with the green. Um, it's just very, very good art. Very, very fitting the story. Um, oh man, I'm going to just give the art a 4.5 as well. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to hold quite back from a full five just because I got to save those for special occasions. But that's going to still give this thing a total of an SBC nine for me. So what about you? Wow. We are not going to be far off at all. Um, so for the writing, um, I, I really enjoyed the writing. Uh, the one thing that kind of threw me a little bit, and I'm going to ding them on it, is how they change the panels. They can even change the panels on the two-page spreads. Um, that really threw me out of the story a couple of times. Even when I go back and read through it, it does the same thing. I wonder so if that's really, more jarring in the physical book than me. Because when I actually, you know, when I'm going through this now with you, I, I see that. But when I'm actually reading it, I'm I'm using the panel by panel view. So I'm not always getting, it's not hitting me in the same way. Yeah, I, I don't. I, it must be different in book form because you got the you know the split page, you know, and the, you know the the mar the uh, you know the margins, and it just feels weird and feels weird to me. So anyway, with that said, I'm going to give it a four point five. I really enjoyed it. I think the storytelling was fantastic, and I couldn't wait to read more. Um, for the art, I absolutely love the art in this book. Um, it's gory, but it's not over the top. Um, you know, it could be a lot worse throughout, but I really liked that. Enjoyed this, the facial expressions. It really told a lot about the story. Um, they added little details like Octo appeared very back in the first issue. Um, you know, she pulled it out of the, the, the backpack. And then just, you know, when they showed the scene of the council, they had the tattoo in the guy's eye, um, you know, that's shown on Aaron Slaughter's hand and on Erica Slaughter's arm. So I'm going to go all out here, and I'm giving the art a five. I wow. I couldn't picture anyone else doing this particular book. So that is a nine point five. All right, so a nine and a nine point five. That is a SPC total here, eighteen point five. That is a that is very very excellent. That is a, if you trust Eric's judgment like you do do Remzo's, and you trust mine like you do. You got to check this book out, especially because there's just really no excuse. Um, it's a different experience reading digitally than than holding in some ways. But at the end of the day, it's the same story. So if you can grab your Hoopla app, you're crazy if you don't have Hoopla. It's the, it's the greatest app that's ever existed. Um, you can find this one for free. So I recommend at least doing that. But I also recommend going to your local comic shop, tracking this book down. Uh, it's always great, especially for a lot of these indie books, um, to really support the independent works that are quality because they don't have the big budgets to to get these all, all over the place. Um, a lot of times they're only going to get, you know, they're only going to produce how many episodes are, are ultimately being ordered. So actually your, you know, how many issues, how many episodes. Uh, so actually going to your comic shop and saying, I want this, um, that actually does like make a difference, especially for, you know, a lot of these indie books. So highly encourage you to, uh, to do that as well. And I highly encourage you if you enjoy our looks at all of these things, including our looks at many more things behind the paywall. I've been doing valiantly 
on my own here. I've been doing She-Hulk Attorney at Law recaps uh, behind the paywall. Remzo will be returning very soon with uh, Remzo versus the DCEU. And I will be diving into a new project very, very soon. A new project that patrons get to vote on uh, themselves. Uh, and of course, you could be like Eric. You could be a Kirby Club level producer. Not all of them get to come and actually co-host the show. Eric is a very special exception in that circumstance. But you might. You never know. You never know what might happen. But you will definitely get to produce one, produce an episode at that level. Um, Eric, before I uh, sign off, any any final thoughts? Any words you'd like to impart upon the listeners today or anything to promote? Do you promote things? Do you have anything that you want to I don't tell have us anything about? To except for SPC. <laughs> All the content All right. behind the paywall is fantastic. I have not missed a single episode since I signed up, and I love signing up. I have found so many new comic books that I wouldn't have found otherwise, and I just love the hot takes on the books you guys are reading. So keep up the good work. Really enjoy it, and I uh, hope to see you soon, Mark. Well, thank you very much, and I believe you shall. So until next time, as always, we encourage you to continue to read comics and change the world. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.